Well, how's everyone doing tonight? Doing well? Awesome. Can you hear that? The sound of all the youth back there in the youth room? My kids invited, mom, my son invited the whole football team. I don't know how many of them came, but we brought a couple of them. And um, my other one invited all the whole trombone section of the marching band. <laughs> so we'll see how many of them show up. But um, they had an awesome day at sea at the pole today. That was kind of the whole point. Remember last week we had you praying for them, for boldness to invite people. And I know Champion had an excellent turnout. Anybody's kids at any other schools that did see at the pole? Had an excellent turnout. What school? Howland. Did they have a really good turnout over there? Not much. But you know what? I saw something on Facebook today that um, an Independence High School, I think it's up north, last year they had five kids. Today they had 70. So and that's our prayer this year, that revival will be poured out in the schools, and, and he does it through our kids, right? So they're bringing them, and they're getting ministered to tonight. So we might hear their music. We might hear some shouting and fun stuff going on back there, and it's all good. So, well, let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Father, we just thank you. (laughs) We thank you for your Word. We thank you for the Word that was made flesh and took our penalty for us so that we could stand here clean, enjoying the presence and the favor of God. Now, I pray, Father, as I open my mouth that your words would come out, give me unction and boldness to speak according to what you've put in my heart. Father, I pray that Every heart would be ministered to, touched, changed, caught on fire with the power of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I have a word stirring tonight on Abraham. I love Abraham. Of all the Old Testament men of faith, Joseph is my favorite. And then Abraham is a real close second. <laughs> but we're going to talk today um, about the title is Dare to Trust, and we're going to talk about faith like Abraham. And I have just been kind of meditating on and reading in Romans chapter 4, and um, we're going to just talk about it tonight. We're going to read through that in a couple different translations and then head back into Genesis for a little bit. And um, But the, the title is Dare to Trust, and this comes out of that uh, verse in Romans chapter 4. But that word dare means courage or confidence to do something. And when I was kind of studying on this and thinking on this, the only thing I could think of was the Christmas story. Everyone remember that movie, A Christmas Story? Red Rider, BB Gun, you'll shoot your eye out. You know, when they're standing in the playground and the you know, talking about, will your tongue stick to the pole, the freezing cold pole? And he triple dog dared him to do it. And he dropped down a challenge, man. He dropped down a dare. I dare you to see if that's going to happen. And the kid had the courage and the confidence to do something. Now, he did something stupid because <laughs> then his tongue stuck to the pole. But it was the courage or confidence to just go with that belief. And he had a belief that his tongue wouldn't stick to that pole. Now, he was wrong. But he had the courage or confidence to go with it. So we're going to talk about dare to trust tonight. Are you with me? All right, let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 12. And we're going to start here, and we're going to hop, skip, and jump through. But it says, And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
So we're going to look tonight at what kind of faith was like that. If we're going to have Abraham's kind of faith, we need to know what kind of faith he had. And so we're going to read on into verse 13. Said clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. So let's stop right here for a second. His faith was not based on obeying the law. So, and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday. How many of you were here on Sunday? How we don't earn our salvation. It's not works-based salvation. We, we do salvation-based works. Grace-enabled things that we do for God. But we ha- we're going to see tonight that we don't earn the promises of God. And how many of you have ever heard this scenario? You know, my, I need prayer. Or my friend needs prayer. He's a good person. He's a Christian. He does really good things. He needs prayer and he deserves it. So let's pray for God to heal him. Or we get out our faith qualifications. She's confessing the word. She reads the Bible. She prays. So she deserves it. And so we're going to kind of bash these apart tonight because we don't earn the promises of God. They're faith-based promises. And when we start to get into that mentality in prayer of, oh, well, you know, we, we confessed, or we believe, or I read the Bible, or I prayed, or I stood in faith, or I'm a good person, it's a locator to let us know that we're trusting ourselves and our actions a little bit more than we're trusting the promise and the power of God. And it is human nature to want to do something. It's human nature to want to contribute, but we need to see tonight that we don't earn the promises of God by what we do right, and we don't disqualify ourselves from the promises of God when we miss it, right? So we don't earn salvation, but you don't have to pay for your sins either. Jesus already did that on the cross, and let me just explain that. Let me qualify that. How many of you have ever missed it once in an area? And then you missed it again in the same area. And again. And again. And again and again and again in the same day. And so it might go like this. You miss it. Well, Father, forgive me. (laughs) That's not my heart. That's not what I want to do. Help me. Strengthen me. Give me grace. And then you miss it again. Oh, Father, I am so sorry. And then ten sorries down the road... It might look a little bit like, I am never going to get this. Father, forgive me. I really, really mean it. And so what I'm going to do now is skip dinner. And I think I'll just pray and just fast a little bit as if we're saying that the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. Right? So we don't earn the promises and we don't have to pay when we miss it. Do we understand? Faith is believing it's all based on God. Are you with me? Okay, let's move on to Romans four seventeen. It says, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. So I want you to look at this. It doesn't say this happened because Abraham was good. 
This happened because Abraham confessed it to be so. This happened because Abraham prayed. It says this happened because Abraham believed. And so we're going to go on into Romans 4, 18 through 25, and I want to look in the Message Bible, and I'm just going to read this kind of all the way through. It says, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. I like that. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Now, what have you been named that you have not become yet? God named him father long before he became a father. God even changed his name to the father of many nations. He was named father long before he became father. And God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. God changed his name to the father of a multitude long before he ever gave birth to Isaac. And so Abraham would look at everybody he came in contact with after that point and say, my name is no longer Abram, it's Abraham. You now call me father of a multitude. And if somebody came up to him and called him Abram, he'd go, what did you call me? No, you're wrong. I am the father of a multitude. I am Abraham. And there are things that God has called you, things that God has called me that we have not yet become. Maybe it's healed. Maybe you're standing on the word of God for healing, and that hasn't manifested in your body yet, but God has already called you healed. Maybe it's delivered. Maybe you're addicted to something, or maybe you're depressed or oppressed by something, and it could be fear. It could be anything oppressive like that that's keeping you under, and God has called you free. He's called you delivered. He's called you an overcomer. He's called you a conqueror. And you're not becoming that yet. You don't see that faith made sight yet. Take hope. Because Abraham was first named father, and then he became father. And just because you don't see it in this natural realm yet doesn't mean it's not true doesn't mean it's not a heavenly reality about you. God called him father long before in the natural he ever was a father because God lives in eternity. Past, present, future, it's all the same for him. And it's all the same regarding you too. So Abraham in God's eyes was already a father. Just like in God's eyes, you're already healed. You're already delivered for. You're already set free. Your debt's already been paid. Your provision has already been provided. Just because you're not completely walking in that yet doesn't mean it's not happening. Doesn't mean that God's not working on it in a realm that you cannot see. So hold on to the promise of God. Amen. Amen. He trusted God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, 
Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on the basis of what God said he would do. And so he was made a father of a multitude of peoples. And God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise And came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he said. Amen. He trusted God to do what only God could do. And he decided to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on the basis of what God said he would do. That means I, he set his life, he set his actions, he set his tongue, he set his thoughts only on what God said he would do. He didn't focus on the impossible, he focused on the God that could conquer the impossible. And we're going to look at that, how we can dare to trust, like Abraham dared to trust. What does this look like? What does this faith like Abraham's look like? And I want to hop back into Genesis and look at the original story. And we're going to hop, skip, and jump. We're not going to read all of chapters 12 through 21. 22 actually is where the story of Abraham is. But we're going to look at the main points where it talks about the promise and Abraham's faith. So we're going to start in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. And I know we're reading a lot of scripture here. We're going to get read, 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 and then we're going to comment and get encouraged. Amen. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, the promise. This was the initial promise that God made to Abram. And we see that faith that he dared to trust God. And one of the translations says that he didn't waver in unbelief at the promises of God. He didn't waver in it. So we saw here in Genesis 12, the promise was given. Abraham, 75 years old at this time, he believed it. He acted on it. He headed out into the unknown. This is faith. This is not wavering. This is daring to trust the promise of God, right? We're going to go over to Genesis 15. Sometime later is how it starts. The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, I mean, listen to that. 
The Lord took Abram outside. How intimate was that? It would be like me walking Dixie outside to show her something. Come with me, Dixie. Let's walk right outside. That's how close they were. Oh, I wouldn't be that close. The Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that it will actually, that I will actually possess it? And so this to me sounds a little different than Romans chapter 4, doesn't it? Where it says he didn't waver at the promise of God. He plunged into it and he trusted God and he believed. But here, this looks a little bit like wavering to me. This was, what, 11-ish years after the promise was initially given. So there's 11 years in between the last conversation and this one. And I, I just hear some questioning in there. How will this be? You haven't given me an heir. You promised me an heir. You promised you'd make me a father. I, my servant's going to be my heir. How can I be sure that this is really going to happen? Has anybody ever had that thoughts when you were standing on the promises of God? This is what Abraham's faith walked out like, right? So what did God do when Abraham had questions? Did he get mad at him? Say, don't you dare question me. I told you once, you're going to be a father. That should be enough. Don't you believe me? No. What did he do? He took him by the hand. He took him outside and said, Abram, look up at those stars. He gave him a visual aid. (laughs) We beat ourselves up when we question, right? But God takes us by the hand and leads us right back to the promise. Says, now, Abram, I told you 11 years ago, it's going to make you a father. Have patience. I'm going to make you a father. And this is what it looks like. See all these stars that you can't count? You're going to have more descendants than that. Okay. It's okay. And Abraham believed God. God isn't afraid of our questions. He is not afraid of our questions. And when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of when Jesus went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, remember, he turned white and Elijah and and Moses were there and Peter, James, and John were with them. And Peter said, let's stay here. And this is awesome. But they had to go back down and they get to the bottom of the mountain. And there's a demon-possessed one at the bottom. and And the kid's father said, if you can... Heal him. Please do it. And Jesus said, if I can? No, 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 no. All things are possible to the one who believes. And what did he say? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. (laughs) Which sounds like an oxymoron to me. How can you believe and unbelieve at the same time? But Abraham did it. Abraham did it. He believed God, but he didn't understand And it's okay to believe God and not understand at the same time. Because we're never going to understand an infinite God in our finite minds. But that doesn't mean that you're not trusting. And that doesn't mean that you don't believe. 
It just needs, means that you need to go back into that promise and look at him a little bit longer. Amen. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. All right, let's go to Genesis 17. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old. So in the beginning, he was 75. And then the last conversation was 11 years later. He was 86. And now we have, what, 13 years later. So still no child. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground and said, Lord, I've heard that before. No. <laughs> no, he did not. Which can be the tendency. How many of you have stood for something for a long time and heard a promise and heard a promise and then you heard a message about it and then you heard another message about it and then you get mad. You're like, well, if it was true, why am I not seeing anything? So we have all these times of God appearing to Abram, Abraham. So let's get back. It says, at this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become mighty nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Again, with the promise. Again, he had to wait. Again, God confirms it with his word. Let's go to Genesis 18. And this is when the visitors come and he's entertaining them. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Again with the promise. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children, so she laughed silently to herself. How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Genesis 21. The Lord kept his word. Let's just stop there for a minute. The Lord kept his word. You know, sometimes it feels like we're waiting forever for that promise to come to pass in our life. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? But this is always the end result when you stand and plunge into that promise. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah 
exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. 25 years from the time the first promise came until the time Isaac was born and he dared to trust. And we see a lot of things in there that he did kind of waver. He didn't understand. He did have some questions. He went back and forth and God confirmed and confirmed and confirmed his promise. And that's what we see in the story. But when God recounts it in Romans chapter 4, he reveals Abraham's heart to us. He didn't waver. He might not have understood, but he didn't waver. But there's something I want to look at in between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. We have Genesis 16. And we're going to kind of focus in here for a little bit because this is where he pricked my heart. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham was an idiot and agreed with Sarai's proposal. That was my version. <laughs> Hello, that's never a good idea. But <laughs> So in between the not wavering, in between the plunging into the promise of God, in between him daring to trust the God to do the impossible and do what he said he would do, we have Ishmael. Abraham tried to help God. He tried to help him. <laughs> Let me tell you, God doesn't need our help. But how many of us fall into this little trap sometimes of trying to help God? Anybody else? besides me, ever try to help God? What we don't see here is Abraham saying, yet, Sarah, he hasn't made you fruitful yet, but he promised that he's going to make you fruitful, so why don't we just hang tight for a little bit? This is a bad idea. No, we didn't see that. We didn't hear him saying, no, God is faithful. No, I'm not going to waver at his promise. No, this is a bad idea. No, we hear him saying, Okay, <laughs> let's do that. And he went and did exactly what Sarah wanted him to do, and it was a bad idea. God had authored faith in Abraham, right? He dared to trust him. He believed what he said. In, in Genesis 12, God said it. Abraham believed it. He went right out to obey it. He authored that faith. But through the years, we see that Abraham tried to help God. So even though God authored the faith for that promise, Abraham tried to help him fulfill the promise. Have we ever done that? It is definitely human nature to want to understand. It is definitely human nature to want to do something. How many of you have ever tried to finish the promise? <laughs> I try to finish the promise all the time. All the time. You would think that I would get it through my thick skull that he's got it. 
He's got it under control. He can take care of it. But it's so easy for a natural man to fall back into wanting to understand and trying to figure it out, especially if you're a control freak. Not that I'm a control freak, but I can have control tendencies. <laughs> I can have those tendencies, so I really watch not being a control freak. But when things feel out of control, that's when you try to take control. And usually when you're standing on a promise of God, it's because whatever you're believing for is out of your control. Because usually if it's within our control to fix it, we don't go to him, do we? I don't initially pray for a headache. I go initially to the ibuprofen. And then I think, oh, I should have prayed. prayed for that. But it was within my power to fix it, so I went to fix it. We don't usually go to God unless it's not within our power to fix it. So it's natural to want to have control over what's going on. And we have a situation that we're standing for. It's a mountain that we're looking square in the face and we're speaking to it and we're commanding it to go. And um, he has authored faith. He's given promises and, and different things. And, and then I'm, yes, we're going with this. This is a good word. Let's post it over the doors. And when we walk in and when we walk out, we're going to see it. And it's hanging over my sink and it's hanging on my mirrors and it's coming out of my mouth. And, and then... My mind, because I'm a detailed person, so my mind starts to take over. Okay, well, this is what he said, and this is what I see. And so if this and this line up, then by this time next year, this will look like this, and this will change, and this will come into line. And if this stays the same, anybody with me? Anybody relate? (laughs) And then you know what almost always happens to my plan? The door gets shut on my plan. (laughs) that rug gets pulled right out from under me. And I, I, Lord, this was your doing. It was marvelous. And I was going with it. It was good. He goes, no, I authored it and you took it over. He goes, you just trust me enough to do it and do it well and finish it. Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, we also Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of our faith. Is that all it says? The author and the finisher. He is well able to finish it. He is well able to finish it. And I've noticed the times in my life when it was out of my control completely and I kept it out of my control, he finished it well. Why? Why does the human carnal man have such a hard time trusting? Because we can't see him. And that's why he gives us, that's why he gave Abraham a visual aid. And he said, look at all the stars in the sky. He gave him something natural to look at, to remind himself every time he looked at it, that God is faithful. And he's given us his word to look at, that every time we start to waver at that promise and try to take it back from him, that we can go to that word and say, no, Father, this is yours. 
I'm going to keep it in your hands. And he's faithful. He is so faithful. Now, we don't earn the promises. We talked about that. But faith is not for the faint of heart. It takes some grit, (laughs) some gumption, some guts to dig in there to believe God and to stand. But we don't have to do it alone. Look at everybody around you. You have a company of believers. Like even Hebrews 12 said, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that was talking about the people that had gone on before us. But look at this great cloud of witnesses. You know, I have days, even I have days, where I start to doubt or I start to wonder or I start to say, Father, I just don't understand what's going on here. Why are we not seeing any change? You said this. What's going on? What am I missing? Am I missing something? And I have people in my life that I call that I can be real with, that I can take the mask off with, because everybody comes into church with a mask that everything's going good, and it's all hunky-dory, and we're good, and we're in faith, and we're blessed, and the favor of God is upon us, and we go home and cry. Because we're like, Lord, what is going on? Because why is it so hard to be real with one another? But I have people in my life that I call and say, listen, I need a verse. I need you to kick me in my butt and get me going here. Because God never intended us to live this life alone. If he can get you isolated in your situation, he can get you defeated. If he can get you isolated in your situation, he can get you defeated. That's why if you look through the book of Acts, where do they always return in the midst of difficulty? To their own company. Because they had someone to lift them up. They had someone to pray for them. They had someone to encourage them. That's what the church is for. That's what we're here for. It is human nature to want to do something. When we try to help God, it's not that we are in pride thinking we're smarter than him. We're thinking that we're better than him. We're just thinking that we need to be responsible here and do something to help. I can't just sit here and do nothing. I'm going to be doing something, right? Work ethic, we need to be doing something. But here's what we need to remember. Trust is an action word. Trust is a verb. When you trust, you are doing something. Let that sink in for a second, and I'll give you an example. We need to not get down on ourselves when we do this. Trust is an action word. And I picked my son Alex up from football practice yesterday, and Michael's out of town. They're at that cry training, and so he's not here, and Alex, he goes, I really need to talk to Dad. I'm like, oh, you don't want to talk to me? (laughs) You can talk to me. He goes, Mom, it's about football. I go, oh, I love football. This is good. I can help you. So he goes, okay, <laughs> like he didn't want to go there. But he said, Mom, I, I'm in my head. He goes, I just can't get out of my own head. He goes, these guys are bigger than me, and I go to tackle them, and I hesitate, and I miss the tackle every time. I psych myself out. I miss the tackle every time. He goes, I need to stop thinking. I go, no, you don't need to stop thinking. You just need to stop thinking the wrong thing. 
said, you didn't have this problem last year when you were the oldest kid in the school, in eighth grade, at middle school. You didn't have this problem last year when you were one of the oldest ones on the team. You knew and were confident in your ability. You knew that you were older. You knew you'd been lifted. You had confidence in your muscles. You had confidence in your pads, and you just went for it. And he did, which was exciting and scary to watch at the same time. Any moms ever watch their sons play football? Oh, you they catch the ball, and you're like, yay, oh, because then they get jammed on both sides. You're like, is he getting up, you know? It takes a lot of faith to watch your son play football. <laughs> But it's not that he needed to stop thinking. It's that he needed to stop thinking the wrong thing. He was psyching himself out. And it's not that we need to not do anything. It's just that we have to know that what God told us to do is fruitful. And that what God told us to do is an action word. Trust is not just a lazy I'm just going to sit back and watch TV until God does something here. That is not trust. That is not Abraham's faith. That is not daring to trust. Trust is sometimes you are sweating because it's taken all of your energy and all of your mental resources to focus in on the promise and focus in on the power and look at your situation that's trying to tell you it's bigger than God and saying, I doubt you. I doubt It's looking at cancer that's trying to tell you I'm going to kill you, saying, I doubt that. God is bigger. God is greater. And it's a fight between the carnal mind and between the spirit. Trust is not a passive word. It's an action word. So when we go to try to help God, let's just help him by doing our part. Our part is to trust. His part is to work. Just because you don't understand it, just because you don't see how it's going to work, doesn't mean it's not going to work. I mean, just think about all the, all the children of Israel when they come against the Red Sea. What are we going to do now? How are we going to fix this? And you know what the Bible says in Psalms? It says that God breathed the blast of his air or breath and the sea went back. I don't think they saw that coming. That was not one of the solutions going through Moses' head. (laughs) But what did God give Moses to do? Hold your staff up. Now tell me that didn't take trust. How many of you have ever held a stick up at a creek and watched it go backwards and part for you to walk over? It takes trust. It takes trust to obey what the word says. It takes trust to sit there and let God be God and do the work. Trust is an action word, and we need to stop psyching ourselves out. Well, I wavered. I doubted. Guess that's it for me. He can't really help me. No, what he wants to do is take you by the hand, lead you outside, and take you right back to the promise. Anytime you start to question, anytime you don't understand, what you need to do at that point is go right back to the promise. Hold on to it and let the promise anchor you. Right? God always brought Abraham right back to the promise. Hebrews six eighteen through 19. 
says God cannot tell lies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if anything is shouting at you opposite of what the word of God says, you know it comes from liar, liar, pants on fire. And if God cannot tell lies, that means his word is going to come to pass. So his promises and vows are two things that can never be changed. We have run to God for safety. And now his promises should greatly encourage us to take hold of the hope that is right in front of us. And this hope is like a firm and steady anchor for our souls. And I just want to end with Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. It says, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Don't throw it away. If you feel like you've messed up, if you remember you don't have to earn the promises, you don't have to, you don't disqualify yourself from the promises, the blood of Jesus has all that covered. Amen. Don't throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't psych yourself out. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance. Ew. (laughs) Patient endurance is what you need now. Did everybody hear that? Let me say it one more time. Patient endurance 25 years, Abraham. Not saying that that's how long it's going to take us. I really don't think, you know, it's going to take that long. Things are quickening. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back, hopefully before Alex gets his driver's license. Patient endurance is what you need now. Before homecoming would be better, but that's, you know, next month. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Trust And then you will receive all that he has promised. Say all. All. All that he has promised. That means healing is yours and provision is yours. And freedom is yours. It's all yours. Peace is yours. A sweet night of sleep is yours. For those of you who aren't sleeping. He's promised that. In Psalms, he said, I will give my beloved a sweet sleep. So if you're not sleeping, you can hold on to that promise. I saw a little, one of those, what do they call them, the picture things on Facebook. It's saying, I saw it last night because I couldn't get to sleep. My mind was with going with this and everything else I had to do today. It just said, give it to God and go to sleep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I should do that right now. <laughs> but you will receive all that he has promised. When? With what? What do you need now? Patient endurance. We have a patient song we sing the kids. You want me to sing it to you? No. <laughs> and whenever they start to get agitated or impatient, I go, do you want me to sing the song? They're like, no. <laughs> so I'll spare you because I can't sing well. But um, don't psych yourself out. Don't let go of the promise. Even if you think you've wavered, even if you don't understand, I'm telling you, if you hold on to that promise like an anchor, it's going to pull you in to the promise. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. It is our hope. It's an anchor for our souls. It carries power. It carries anointing. When we speak it, hallelujah, strongholds have to break and come down. Father, we thank you for that word. 
Now I pray for this word that as we leave tonight, Father, that I could deliver it in my imperfect way, but Holy Spirit will go home with each one of us, and I just pray like bread, you would break it apart and teach each one of us what we need to hear from it, Father. Encourage our hearts with it, ignite our faith with it, Father. And I thank you for each one in this place that the promise that they are standing on, that you will reaffirm and reassure that promise in their heart until they see faith made sight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? We do have a few minutes. I got done early because I got it early, so that's nice. But um, I just wondered if anyone had a praise report. Okay. Okay.